Hello, I'm James Jacobson, and welcome to The Long Leash. How many emergency vet visits have you had in your lifetime? Think about it for a moment. I started counting on my fingers every time that I've had to visit the vet for an emergency, and I quickly ran out of fingers and kind of started on a few toes. There have been lots of reasons to go to these emergency 24-hour veterinarians, whether it was many years ago when my curious puppy, Murphy, somehow, somehow got into some rat poison when I was visiting a friend's office. Or years later on Valentine's Day, when my sweetheart and I returned home from a lovely evening out to find tiny little pieces of foil scattered around the house because our dog, Maui, had discovered a bag of Hershey Kisses. Or just recently, last week, when Kanga, my dog now, was refusing food and was very lethargic and was running a fever. The reasons that I went to the emergency clinic were varied, but the experiences, they were all pretty similar. My dog was taken away from me. She was whisked away behind those mysterious swinging doors that vet hospitals somehow have. And I was left feeling pretty anxious and wondering. I've totally felt unempowered to do anything. Does this sound familiar? Well, what if there was a better way to experience an emergency vet hospital? There is. Today on The Long Leash, we explore a revolutionary emergency medicine approach that may be coming to your city, or perhaps it is already there. Today on The Long Leash, I speak with Dr. David Bessler, the visionary behind Veterinary Emergency Group, or VEG, as they call themselves, V-E-G, VEG. It is a hospital unlike any other vet clinic that I've ever experienced or even heard of. VEG has grown to 27 emergency hospitals. They're located around the country and they are growing fast. And I don't think that their growth will be limited just to the United States. As you'll hear in today's episode, there's a reason for this fast growth. And it's because these VEGs have rethought all the assumptions about how emergency medicine for our pets can be practiced. David Bassler, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So you have in no small way revolutionized or at least rethought the way that emergency vet medicine is practiced. Why and what was wrong with it before? It was uh, broken to use a cliche phrase these days. I think that it was not designed in today's modern era. Emergency veterinary medicine came about, I would say in the 1950s and 60s, copied human medicine with a very stiff kind of doctor wears a white coat, um, you can't handle the truth kind of (laughs) attitude. That's where the things like separating people from their pets, you know, I got to take your dog into the back, you know, can I come? No, you can't. You know, the stuff that goes on back there is too much for you to handle or making up things like, you know, pets are usually better without their owners, better behaved without their owners. You know, of course, they're actually just scared stiff. They're not, they're not better behaved without their owners. They're just scared out of their minds. Um, So they don't, you know, if they behave better at all. 
So it was broken in that way. It also wasn't, it didn't fit with today's understanding of veterinary medicine in general being a service industry. Hmm. In the end, people are there to have their pets treated, but we also treat people, uh, give them peace of mind, have them partake in the decision-making process of their pet's care. And that was kind of left behind in the old version of emergency veterinary medicine. And I've always been focused on customer experience, uh, on helping people. That's why our, our mission is helping people and their pets when they need it most. And that just comes from my own personal veterinary mission of helping people with their pet problems. So when a client visits a veg, a veterinary emergency group clinic, and you have over 20 of them right now, 20? Yep, 27. 27. 27. <laughs> you keep growing. And we'll get into that because I think that's, that's so fascinating. But when a client visits one of those, and we'll talk about the difference between clients and customers too, but when a client or a person comes and brings their dog in because they've had some sort of emergency, how is it different? What are they going to see that they wouldn't see in a normal emergency hospital? Yeah, I think the first difference you'll notice when you call. And so... I always like to think, you know, practice the golden rules. What would I want if I were a pet owner and had an emergency? So I would call the emergency room and I would love to speak with the doctor. Um, I have a question. I can tell you my pet's medical history. I can tell you what is going on right now, but yet I can't speak with the doctor. Instead, you speak with a receptionist. You might speak with a veterinary nurse, which is fine. But I know as a pet owner, I would want to speak with a doctor. And the first thing you'll notice that's different is uh, every medical question is answered by a doctor. Hmm. And so unless, you know, if you're asking for directions how to get there, we can help you with that. You know, when you're calling with an emergency with your pet, you want to speak with a doctor. And so we have you speak with a doctor. Hmm. That's the first thing. Then you come in and I mean, we have all the kind of cool technology bells and whistles where you can fill out your registration form online before you come in so that when you walk in, you're not filling out, you know, all sorts of, you know, paperwork, things like that. But the next thing you'll notice is even if you didn't fill that out, you don't fill out paperwork when you come in. You're there because you're having an emergency with your pet. The normal customer service way of dealing with that is let's connect you with people that can help you with your pet emergency. So you see a doctor and a nurse right away as soon as you walk in. You don't fill out any paperwork first. Didn't make sense for me. When I go in for any sort of service, I don't walk in somewhere and you know start filling out paperwork. People start serving me, waiting on me hand and foot you know, right away. And that's the experience. Except in a human emergency room. In the human, right. In the human ER or any doctor you go in. I, I went to the doctor just for a checkup uh, yesterday and there were three pages, double-sided <laughs> of things to fill out. And then like the third time they asked me for like, you know, whether anybody in my family had ever had heart disease. Like that was like the third, they asked me three times on the same piece of paper. It's just so antiquated. Uh, so at Veg, you won't experience any of that. You walk in, you go to the back, what quote unquote, we, do, we don't mind calling it the back because once everybody's allowed back there, it's, it's just a back. Uh, we call it the treatment area, the back, you know, we have sides, we have a front, we have, you know, all those things. And there's, there's no problem calling it those things. So when you come in, you go straight to the back. Right away, you start, your concerns are addressed by a doctor and a nurse. So when you say the back, this is in the treatment area, are there separate rooms or is everyone in one big room? Paint a picture. Yeah, everyone's in one big room. That's another big difference you'll notice. So, I mean, I think it's wonderful in human medicine to protect people's privacy by, you know, with HIPAA laws, et cetera. In veterinary medicine, there's a tremendously beautiful experience to be had when you go and you're able to see the amazing work that the talented people that are serving you are doing for other people. Mm -hmm. So if you go in, your dog has a broken toenail, that's a minor emergency. And you know we can certainly take care of that. 
But I think it's important for you to know that the people that are helping you with that are also able to do life-saving emergency surgery, and they're doing that. And you can see them working on other uh, on other patients. And so you understand the value of the people who are taking their time to help you. It's also very helpful for our people, our doctors and our nurses and our assistants, who are also very talented and hardworking. It's important for you to know how hard they're working. It's important for them to know that you know how hard they're working. Mm. And so you're not saying like, you know, am I going to, you know, when am I going to be seen? I've been here for an hour. It's obvious there's, there's a dog over there whose leg is falling off. There's a dog over there who's, you know, having surgery. You're on a more, you know, serious note, you're very compassionately and caringly, you know, putting a people's, somebody's family member to sleep in a room over there. And so why would you rush somebody through that? People are good. People are nice and they want you to be good and nice to other people. We start with that as the default. And I think when you open it up and everybody can see it, people kind of resort to their normal good roots. So there's a level of transparency that encourages goodness. And I'm not here first. It's just that, well, that seems like they, they understand triage because they are experiencing it with their own eyes. Exactly it. And there, you know, you um, your assumption when you're locked in a room, you know, waiting for your doctor to come in, your assumption is your doctor's taking their sweet time, having coffee, <laughs> chatting people up in the back. Um, that's maybe the bad side that of it. That is my assume. assumption. How did you know? Yeah, that's everyone's yeah. assumption, right? Maybe we yeah. assume the worst. Maybe that's yeah. uh, that's human nature. We assume the worst. But, uh, you know, here you see it and you see the amazing heroes that are working on your pet. And how many treatment tables are there in the back? Yeah, it depends on the size. We have uh, different formats for different types of locations. There's more of like an urban format where, you know, space is, is hard to come by. We want our places to be located somewhere convenient. Hmm. And so, you know, say like main on main. And so... Sometimes we're dealing with slightly smaller, smaller areas. And so, you know, we'll have four or five tables in, in one location where we'll have, you know, six to eight tables in another. But I will say the table thing is also a bit of a misnomer. We, we like to sit on the floor. That's another thing. When you, when you reinvent everything, we kind of threw out everything about emergency and said, like, let's start from <laughs> scratch with what makes sense. And so this idea, like we like to say, you know, who invented these tables anyway? Uh, the idea of like, you know, taking a chihuahua that, you know, normally lives, you know, six to 10 inches off the floor and putting them, you know, six feet off the floor, uh, <laughs> that is terrifying on a slippery metal table. <laughs> and so uh, we like to start on the floor where our patients are, you know, more used to living They're They're more comfortable there. So we, we start, we sit on the floor as one of our, we call them our spikes. So we, we sit on the floor. We do have exam tables. Sometimes things have to happen up, up on an exam table. We're just very careful about our use of the quote unquote exam table. Okay. So you're in there with your pooch in the back with all these other clients who are getting emergency services. What are some other things that are really distinctive about Veg? Yeah, I guess I'll start with this. We have a culture. A lot of other companies, veterinary and, and not veterinary, it's not that they don't have, they have bad cultures. They just don't have a culture. We have a culture that's rich. We have our sacred texts. We have our rituals. We have our language, our dress. We have our memes, our sayings, social norms. All these things are part of our culture. And you'll see a family of people that has a rich culture. You'll see people, everybody is wearing veg gear. Our core values in our culture are openness, which you, you can see, like, you know, beyond transparency, there's openness. Togetherness, heroic helping, and meaningful moments. Those are our four core values. And you'll see manifestations of those in the behavior and dress, everything of the people that you see around you. So our veggies will be dressed in things that they're comfortable in. They don't have to be wearing scrubs. Some of them will be wearing veg branded t-shirts. 
Nobody will be wearing, you know, short shorts or, you know, uh, open-toed shoes or anything like that. But, you know, there's nothing inherently dirty about a t-shirt versus a scrub top. Somebody said like, oh, you know, we, what about professionalism? It's, that's not a core value of veg. Professionalism is not one of our core values. We are professionals, but the idea of professionalism to me seems kind of old school. And I don't think anybody's coming there for professionalism. They don't want unprofessionalism. Nobody wants us to behave in an unprofessional way. Right. So you'll see that, that level of kind of openness of, you know, people just wearing whatever's comfortable for them. A great one, we believe in banter. So we have everybody in the back. You don't hold back what you're saying. We try not to drop the F-bomb around people since there are often kids there. Yeah. Uh, maybe that falls into the unprofessional lane, but we tell our people to banter. Use the normal lingo that you would use. And so even if it's talking about your, you know, a great example is we've had somebody like a very, very busy day and uh, our nurses and doctors are just running around nonstop. And one of our nurses like says out loud, you know, I've had to pee for the past six hours and, and that's okay to say, that's the truth. That's the reality of, of working in a busy emergency room. And uh, one of our customers was there and, you know, and said like, is there anything you need me to do? You should definitely go pee. And that's fine. We want people to hear that. Uh, for example, another thing we do is very often people are, you know, hanging out with their pet while they're being treated and they'll say, Hey, we're going to go for coffee. Can we get you anything? They'll ask us, can we get you anything? And normally you might assume the correct answer is like, no, we're okay. Don't worry about us. Right. You, I'm supposed to serve you. You don't serve me. The correct veg answer is, you know, I'll take, you know, milk and two sugars, please. <laughs> because we, we allow people to partake in the emergency experience. We want them to feel like they're helping as well. That's the ultimate experience for us, by the way, mm. we call that the third dimension of customer experience is when they partake in our mission. They get to feel a psychological reciprocity. Yeah, sometimes they actually get to do it. Sometimes they get to actually partake in procedures, not even on their own pets. Really? Yeah, this pet owner will be holding oxygen next to that pet's nose, you know, during CPR or something like that. We may just, you know, we may say to them, we caught somebody coming out of our, uh, out of our laundry room once and the assistant that was on said, you know, can I help you, ma'am? And she said, oh, I saw you like struggling to get the laundry done like the whole night. I heard the buzzer go off. So I just went and changed the loads for you. <laughs> and, and that's totally fine with us. I think that's great. We celebrate moments like that. That's great. When people can help us out, that's amazing. So here in Hawaii, we have an expression for that. It's hui it up, which is to a hui is a community. So everyone kind of works together. And in this case, it's the clients working as well with the veterinary professionals. That's exactly right. You talk a lot about core values, and I want to get into that. I want to break down some of the four core values, but and you talk about sacred texts and, and stuff like that. So there's a bit of theology, and I think you've even used the word spirituality, that is impregnated on this really fast, unicornish growing veterinary business. To use another biblical term, what's the genesis of that, David? <laughs> Uh, that's the genesis of it. I think historically, I mean, I, I was raised very religiously. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Muncie, New York, which okay. is a very Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. And that was the upbringing that I had. Okay. And you served in the Israeli army before you went to I did. college. Okay. I did. I did. Yeah. Well, that is true. But I, I realized that the task that's before us is we have an amazing group of people that believe in, believe in some pretty amazing deep, good things, like the core values that I mentioned. We're doing wonderful work for the world. Mm -hmm. My job and my challenge is to grow this company so that everybody on earth, let alone in the United States, that has a pet, that has an emergency, can have this great, helpful experience. And in order for me to be able to get there, we have to somehow grow this business without losing our culture. 
And the best way that I know to get that done is to create a sacred text, which is let's just write down the best parts about our company that we don't ever want to lose because we're afraid that people may not know them and write them down and then ask everybody to read it and to study it and to, to talk about those things. And that's what we did. That's our sacred text. Oh, it almost sounds Talmudic. I mean, it really, it, it sounds like yeah. it really is that in terms of its DNA. Yeah, it is. And people sometimes will accuse us of being a cult. And and I think that's fine because obviously, I mean, look, let's be real. We're, obviously, we're not a cult. Everybody is free to come and go as they please. We're not, right. you know, dictating people's diets. Um, you know, there's <laughs> nothing crazy like that. And I don't know, like, we're a cult for good. There's really nothing. We're about helping people and about servant leadership and about, you know, leading through love and not through fear and all sorts of wonderful, great things. So if you bring me a cult that is all about saving the whales and saving the environment and feeding the poor, you know, it's hard to call that a cult. <laughs> yeah. Where do I sign up? Yeah. And so, yeah. so we're like that. I think we just, we stand for a lot of really exciting, inspiring things. And we do it in a way that's designed to help our company grow without losing our culture. Those are the things that we, the mechanisms that we use. So let's break down those four core values that are so essential to the DNA of the company. Yeah. So we'll start with, and there are no, in no specific order, openness is the first one that people realize. I would say we're famous for our open floor plan or open hospital flow. And you distinguish that from transparency a moment ago. What is the difference? Transparency is just visual. When you go to a restaurant and they're cooking your food behind a glass wall, <laughs> um, you can see what they're doing, but you have no input into it. Hibachi is a little better. Um, you know, maybe they're they're able to interact with you, you know, while you're cooking the food. Maybe there's some hibachi. Places. Oh, the teppanaki table. Yeah, yeah. So maybe you're yeah. like able to participate in some way. So <laughs> that for us, openness includes the idea of not just participation, but also uh, an openness to ideas, your input into the process. We're not here to make these decisions for you. We're here to educate you if you need on on all the ins and outs. And together we make decisions. And your emotions are an important factor in the care of your pet. And we're not going to ignore those things. We need your input. I need to understand your values. Mm -hmm. Perhaps you don't believe in euthanasia. Perhaps you don't believe in cremation. Perhaps this pet is the last thing that you have to remember your deceased spouse by. Mm. Perhaps you have children who are away at college who need to come home and be able to say goodbye to your pet. We need to be able to involve all those factors. And so we need your input. So transparency is more of a kind of a one-way sort of visual thing. Openness is that. And it, what's important about core values, and I, I guess in this way, I'm really, I'm a student of culture more than a CEO of a company in that the thing about core values is that they can't apply only to one aspect of your company. If they're core values, they have to apply to every aspect of your company. And so when DEI things first became, you know, a big deal, for us, it was intuitive. It's already been a part of the veg culture is to be open to all races, religions, uh, sexual orientations. That's just always been a part of veg. We're open, not just in our hospitals, but we're open in our, our mindsets, our acceptance of uh, everybody as just a, a human being looking to help people and their pets when they need it most. And so that's, that's openness. Togetherness is another core value. Stated simply, we believe that Everything, maybe most things, but everything, let's say, is better when done together. Mm. So we say together from happy couples to giant conferences. So our hospitals, for the most part, are managed together by a pair, a practice manager and a medical director. And no, you ask me, like, who's in charge? And it's undefined, meaning 
neither one. They are both in charge. And people want to say like, okay, well, which one? And we're like, nope, they're both in charge. And like, okay, well, which one? Um, and so, <laughs> so does that mean it's a flat org chart, or you just have basically two co heads in each hospital? You have two co heads in, in each hospital for the time being. It may be that we find, but we we believe that there's value in having two people. And my business partner, David Gladstein and I, we run our company together in the same way. So there's, you know, who's in charge? There's two of us. On our work chart, there's one box with two Davids in it. <laughs> and so that's that's on one end of togetherness. And then there's the really, the more compelling, exciting end of, uh, of togetherness, which people know us for, which is when we go to conferences, we're freakishly annoying in that we have giant herds of veggies all in coordinated loud, usually fluorescent shirts that have some sort of crazy message on those shirts. We like to hang out together. Veggies are what you affectionately call your- Veggies are veg employees. Veg yes, employees. employees. We are veggies. Oh, and that's another thing about our culture. Everything is a pun. We are participating in the evolution. <laughs> we have a vegcabulary. That's the collection of those words. <laughs> if, you're a, uh, if you have a baby when you're working at veg, that is a sprout. <laughs> we have our new people that come into work. They are fresh veggies. All sorts of puns. We like puns. So the togetherness is it manifests itself both in uh, customer, pet, veggie, all together on the treatment floor to large gatherings of veggies at conferences. The way we hold our meetings is usually the more the merrier. We have every Tuesday we have what we call our big giant heads meeting, which is an all hands meeting. Uh, everybody from our veg quarters being our headquarters, uh, this, all 170 of them get on a call every Tuesday. We're soon going to be opening that up to every single veggie in the company. They can all come and participate in that. I don't know if Zoom can handle that, but we'll figure that out. <laughs> so that's togetherness. The next core value is heroic helping, which is really, you know, when you think about the definition of emergency, the difference between emergency practice and uh, any other type of practice is really the immediate heroism. Emergencies like this is happening now. You know, this is when I need you the most. And uh, that's why our mission is what it is. So we look for heroic helpers. The definition for us of heroic helping is identifying the greatest need and meeting that great need with a great sacrifice. For example, a customer leaves our hospital and forgets their cat carrier. And they call us up and they say, hey, I left my cat carrier there. Can you please put it behind the counter and I'll come pick it up later? Hopefully, our veggie on the other end of that listens to that and says, okay, the immediate need that I can identify is find my carrier and put it behind the counter. But there's a greater need. This person is not interested in getting their carrier behind the counter. That's not the goal. The goal is they need their carrier back home. Let me meet that greater need with a greater sacrifice. Ma'am, I have your address here in the computer. I'm just going to get in the car now and bring it over to your house. Hmm. And we do that routinely with medications that people forget, bringing pets in. Uh, we actually, here's a great example to combine a couple of things. We had a woman called and said that her Rottweiler was collapsed on the floor at home and she couldn't get him in the car to come in. We didn't have any extra hands at that point. Um, this is at our Boynton Beach, Florida location. Uh, we didn't have anybody to go out and get that pet. Normally we would, we would you know, send somebody out. One of our customers actually overheard the conversation and said, don't worry, I got it. And got on the phone with the lady, made her feel comfortable that it was, you know, drove to her house Put the dog, the dog was actually deceased at home. The woman didn't, didn't realize it, but uh, got the dog, put the dog in the car, put the lady in the car, put the lady's mother in the car, drove them all into veg. He actually participated in the CPR efforts. And then, you know, the lady was crying and, you know, we have this great picture of the two of them hugging. You know, he was able to, uh, for us, that's the third dimension. He was able to be a, an ER hero, helping people and their pets when they needed most. That was his opportunity. Not a single veggie involved in that entire episode. And that's, that's really the culmination of the veg experience, but that's where heroic helping comes in. Does the heroic helping create 
an environment where customers, clients self-select in terms of, I want to be a part of that group versus like, I just want to be served. Or have you thought about that? We experience it all the time. It's very rare. I think human beings are a, I don't want to call a herd species. We live in groups. And while we may enjoy being alone from time to time, for the most part, um, we are a communal species. And I think we naturally take care of one another. We enjoy when people take care of us and we enjoy the spiritual rewards of taking care of other people. And people may walk in, I hope, and I hope that this is the case. And I would love nothing more for than for this to be the end result of this entire veg endeavor is people may walk in being self-centered and selfish, wanting care for their pets and care for themselves and leave having had the rewarding experience of being able to help other people when they need it most. That would be my, my wish, my dream. Wow. Okay. And so what's the fourth core value? Meaningful moments. Uh, a lot of people say the other three core values culminate in these meaningful moments. It's kind of our reward. One of the things we like to say is we work for thank yous. Um, our reward, the reason why we have, one reason why we have everybody able to see what we do is that they can thank us for the specific things that we do. You know, without the transparency and openness that we have, you might uh, give somebody their pet back and they just say, you know, thank you for making him better, which is nice. But not as good as thank you for making him better by putting in a catheter in this tiny vein like you did, holding him down with sandbags in weird positions to take the x-rays that you did, managing his pump that's been beeping all night, having to be restarted, picking up his poop, walking him, cleaning up the urine after him, dealing with his biting all the time, all that kind of stuff. That is an amazing thank you. When people can thank you for the actual crazy hard work that you did, that's rewarding. So we work for thank yous. In the same way, the other three core values culminate in these meaningful moments, which is, for example, we have a pet that's hospitalized with us. Let's say it's had, had surgery and it's recovering after surgery and it's hospitalized for three, four, five days. And that pet stands up and gets walked out by their owners with its family that's been staying by their side for three, four, five days. Everybody lines up in two rows and applauds as they walk out the door. You have to create these meaningful moments. This is our payment. We don't do that for you. You've already paid your bill. You know, it's done. The medicine has been provided. The surgery has been done. Our payment is being able to be part of, be there for that, that meaningful moment. Everybody in that line clapping is crying because that is like, that is some powerful stuff. These are the things that you remember throughout your life. It's the reason why we went into this business to begin with. Uh, so we, we create meaningful moments. You identify meaningful moments when they happen. Sometimes they just, they just kind of happen. Um, I have a great picture of, um, a couple that was standing over their dog that had uh, a bufo toad or a marine toad is a big toad found in the south. You may have them in Hawaii, my guess. And in Hawaii, yeah. very dangerous. Yeah. And so dogs will get a mouthful of those toads and will uh, start to have seizures, um, you know, overheat terrible things. And so they're standing over their dog. It was a French bulldog. And the dog is like comatose for hours. And they're just standing over this dog crying. All of a sudden, the dog picks up its head you know, and like make some sort of noise. And the two of them just start making out the, <laughs> the, the, the couple that was, you know, they just thought like making out. We got that. We got a picture of that. Um, that's, that's a meaningful moment. You have to sometimes capture them. They happen kind of on their own. And then, you know, and celebrating them as a, you know, you make them happen, identifying them when they happen and, and celebrate them, make something of it, get a picture of it, applaud when something, you know, somebody walks out the door. When one of our veggies does a procedure for the first time and conquers their fears. We celebrate that moment as a meaningful moment. We ring, we have a, a veg gong or a vong, as ridiculous as that is. Um, we ring a vong and record it and they kind of say what, you know, what they did to celebrate that meaningful moment. Those are the kind of the things that we make happen. That's our fourth core value. 
And chronicling those meaningful moments is so important. The way that I first heard about you, because we don't have any of your hospitals out here in Hawaii. Not yet. Was through a photographer who you've hired who goes around the country and, and takes these wonderful photos. Talk about the role of photography and what are the thoughts about the wall space that you have in your hospitals? Yeah, so we, we um, I guess when I look at the art at other veterinary businesses, this kind of generic puppy and kitten pictures on the on the wall. And I think what you hang on your wall is really a declaration of what you celebrate. I know it's like your refrigerator. My kids get a good score on their on a test. They hang it on the refrigerator. I think that's because the refrigerator is magnetic and we don't want to tape things to our walls. We would hang them on the wall. When you have a diploma, right? You hang your diploma on the wall. People hang pictures of their children on the wall. It doesn't make sense to me to hang something generic on the wall. I guess what you're saying is you celebrate generic puppiness or kittenness, pet ownership, that, that's fine. For us, what we celebrate are these meaningful moments, the togetherness. We have these things called Velfies, which is a veg selfie. A veg selfie is a <laughs> picture that has to include a veggie, a pet owner, and a pet. These are difficult pictures to capture because normally in a veterinary scenario, there's an adversarial relationship between the customer and the care provider. Uh, you're giving me an estimate, you're making me pay money, I have to beg and plead to be with my pet or beg and plead to make you do what I want you to do with my pet. And so there's that adversarial relationship. Whereas at Veg, we're a partnership. We right away establish that we are on the same team, both of us working together to help your pet. And so capturing that moment in a picture is our way of celebrating that meaningful moment. So we'll hang Velfies on the wall if we can. We'll hang pictures of togetherness, just people and veggies working together uh, on the floor. That's the kind of stuff that we capture and put on our walls. And Mindy captures that. She does a great job with it. I want to, you know, recognize how much thought and effort and energy has gone into thinking of all of this and redefining this. Is this a collaborative process or is it you or is it your partner? Or where did this come from? Where did this schema originate? All those things, David and I, uh, we don't only share a box in the org chart, we share a mind. We believe in the same core values. I think what I love pointing out is if I think if you asked any of our friends, if they thought togetherness and openness and heroic helping and meaningful moments categorized us as people, they don't know us at work, they would say yes. Uh, you know, David does, never misses somebody's birthday or anniversary. You know, he always remembers those things you know, celebrates them. He's a, you know, a gift giver. He does, you know, does those things. We love being together. Any opportunity we have to have a gathering, throw a party, et cetera, we're always, you know, into doing that. We're both extremely open people sharing our emotions and our feelings and our intentions. It's just, these are core values that characterize the two of us. And because of that, our entire company is like that. So it's definitely a collaboration. It's openness at its best, which is somebody comes up with a great idea. And instead of just saying, it's very easy to get an email from somebody saying like, hey, what do you think of this idea? It's very easy to say, yeah, I think that's a great idea. I'll keep that in mind. And they feel happy. They got a response from the CEO, makes them feel special. But I've just kind of disposed of that idea. Instead, we're open to those things. And we're like, oh, that's a great idea. Let's pass that on. Here's who I pass it on to. Here are my suggestions for how you can take that and run with it and actually entertain that. It's like, maybe this is a great idea. All of our best things have come like that. Somebody just suggesting, you know, what would be a good idea? Or, you know what sucks? And then we go and like fix it. 
uh, that's where these things come from. It is one giant collaboration. There's nothing that any one of us came up with. Well, you guys have grown a lot throughout the pandemic. And so I want to take a break right now. But when we come back, let's talk a little bit about how explosive the growth has been at Veg. We'll be right back. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. It's a strange thing to do, sprinkle this powder on my food, but I wouldn't have it any other way. My time with you is precious and irreplaceable, and I'm thrilled to be with you for as long as possible. Here's to puppy playtime and senior snoozes. <laughs> no matter how old I get, I want my ever pup. It just makes me feel good in this life. And the next, and the next, and the next. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup, every day. David Bessler, we are talking with you about the extraordinary growth of Veterinary Emergency Group. When did you start it, and how did the... COVID pandemic impact the growth of the business? So we started in 2014. My wife, Marnie, and I, she's an optometrist. We bought one nights and weekends emergency vet hospital. It was called the Veterinary Emergency Group. Where was that? That was in White Plains, New York. Okay. And it had been around for 25 years uh, before then. It was originally built and run by uh, a group of local general practitioners who built it in the 80s. For the most part, so they wouldn't have to be on call 24 hours. Uh, it's kind of a collaborative for them. And we bought that, and we were able to start doing things our way. From day one. I mean, you, you came in and you knew what was wrong because you had worked in other emergency hospitals yeah, before. I did. I definitely knew what was wrong on day one. I don't know that I knew all the different ways to make it better to fix it, those we discovered along the way by putting one foot in front of the other in, in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But I had... I trained a bunch of interns over the years, working in a place where I worked in the past. And many of those interns followed me, those veterinarians. These are, at that point, they're the great emergency veterinarians followed me there. And just to kind of call them out, because it's great. The first veterinarian that we hired is a guy named Vijay Nair. And he is now our vice president of technology. And he was the, the first doctor that we hired. Then we hired uh, Dr. Lisette Lewis, who's now our chief medical officer. And then we hired uh, Nastasia Germain, who's our medical director at our Georgetown, D.C. location. And these are great veggies. And we, we were aligned with our focus on customer experience and on just improving the overall emergency experience. And so we started doing that together. And uh, things like, you know, getting on the phone, having doctors, you know, get on the phone. We started doing that thing. I think that was probably first. So that was 2014. 
And 2015, I grew up across the Hudson River, just about 20 minutes away in Rockland County. And the veterinarians that were there, I got to know them and they said, you know, wow, we would love to have an emergency hospital like that here in Rockland. And so in 2015, we opened, we built one from scratch and, and opened that. Uh, and that one did great within a year. You started raising capital to do that or how did that work? No. So talk about terrifying. Between my wife and I, our student loans, when we graduated, we had about $350,000 in student loans uh, when we graduated. <laughs> two doctors. Two yeah. doctors, 350 grand, one two-bedroom apartment in the Bronx, three kids <laughs> uh, stuffed into one bedroom, <laughs> one car. Wait, I think this is a TV show. I think this is a sitcom. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. the way we were living. Yeah, so we between the two hospitals, we took out a little over a million dollars of personally guaranteed debt on top of the 350000 And so- yeah, so we had about $1.5 million in personally guaranteed debt when we opened the second hospital. And I'll point out the first hospital was not a profitable hospital when we bought it. So there was a big risk there. But I think, you know, we knew that I know I know what pet owners want. I know what emergency professionals want. And so I'm able to deliver that. And I think if you deliver that, that will make money. So that's what we did. And you had seen that because you were, now most of the listeners of this podcast probably are familiar with Blue Pearl, but as I understand, you are one of the first vets who worked for Blue Pearl. Yeah, very early on in 2005. Okay. So you've seen some fast growing veterinary hospital businesses grow up. Absolutely. So that's, that's you know, how we, we built that second place in 2015 and, and that took off right away, you know, built on the same, the, the advantage here is that we were able to actually build the physical structure the way we wanted so that the, hmm. there was a, you know, fast way to get into the, into the back and uh, you could go from the back into the treatment area and into the uh, exam rooms. So that was in 2015. Uh, and that hospital was doing great. In 2016, I got an email from David Gladstein and uh, I'll tell his story for him. He was in the investment world, a smart guy, went to Wharton, got his MBA from Wharton. And he had been involved in some investment banking companies that tried to buy some veterinary businesses in the past. So he'd been following the veterinary world for a while. And he was at a point in his career where he wanted to start something bigger and kind of be a bigger part of history, I would say. And so uh, he needed a, the the business to help build. Um, that's the thing about MBAs is that they're an engine without wheels. And so you kind of need uh, need the business to build. So he he reached out, he just emailed me and he said, uh, I, I like to joke that he Googled entrepreneurial vet near me uh, and, <laughs> and kind of ended up, he found me, I had two hospitals at that point and he just emailed me and said, I'd love to meet you and find out, uh, found out more about your business. And another thing we had in common is we both believe in taking every meeting. And so I met with him, he came to our hospital and uh, gave him a tour and I explained to him what we what we do and you know he loved it he saw he saw the potential in it he understood that this has the makings of a great revolutionary world changing business and so we worked together over the next several months to try to find he you know he asked me this great question once he said he's like so you know we can continue opening you know more like a, you know one hospital at a time you know as we get the profits you know to do that and you know by the time we retire we'll have you know. 10 or 11 hospitals, you know, or, or we can create an empire. And it took me zero seconds to respond. I'm like, I want to build an empire. I want to change the world. And so uh, he said, well, we're going to need a bunch of money. So we went out to try to find money. He connected us with a great investor, probably, I mean, of the most famous prestigious investors in the world, uh, Sequoia Capital. And we met with uh, people from Sequoia and we went out there to Silicon Valley to, to pitch them on our business. And they loved it. For them, uh, they definitely saw the need. They all had pets. They understood the value of pets uh, to them and, and how 
uh, emergency pet care is something that uh, the world needs a great version of. And so they've been our backers uh, since the beginning. How much capital did Sequoia put in? They put in at first $20 million. Okay. So that probably made your wife, Marnie, feel, okay, we got our student debts. We'll be okay. Sure. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. I mean, the truth is, you know, we still had really everything riding on this. Right. And so it was a validation from quote unquote smart venture capitalists. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, the, the truth is at that point, honestly, we we really knew that we were onto something big. It was really just an issue of figuring out a way to to fund it. And Sequoia, you know, that wasn't obvious for everybody. It was obvious to us. They saw it and they they understood. Right. So yeah, so we just set out at first buying some. We we bought a couple few hospitals. Since then we really been have been building hospitals. Building a hospital from scratch allows us to do it the right way. And so that was in 2017 is when we you know started. We actually bought one hospital in Lynnhurst, New Jersey. We've moved that since to, to Clifton, uh, New Jersey. And the White Plains Hospital and our Clifton's Hospital are uh, super successful hospitals. They do a great job, deliver an amazing customer experience. They have fantastic doctors and nurses practicing there. And, um, you know, they do, they do a great job. But since then, 2017, we've grown from three hospitals in 2017 to 27 hospitals today. And I would imagine that the pandemic was contributing to that. Yes. Yes and no. So I, I guess I don't know what veg would have been like without the pandemic. <laughs> I do know that we were growing uh, by leaps and bounds before the pandemic. We had, um, I don't know exactly uh, offhand, but I, I think we probably had 18 hospitals before uh, before the pandemic. That's my guess. Uh, maybe we had 15. I don't know. I have to get you the info on that. But I would say... The pandemic did two things. Number one, the caseload increased dramatically. Again, that doesn't enable us to open new locations. That really is just a challenge. That requires us to have more people. The challenge there is, you know, we we have an amazing value proposition for emergency professionals. Everybody wants to come work for us. It's in our vision statement. We want, we aim for our employees to brag about their jobs and for their friends to be jealous. We aim for that. If you're interested in a career in emergency medicine, you want to come work for Veg. We are the emergency company. We're the only company in the United States focused exclusively on veterinary emergency. And so we went from about 300 employees before COVID to uh, 1,800 employees today. That doesn't just come about through, you know, great recruiting, although we have a great recruiting team. It comes about through having an amazing company that everybody wants to work for. So that's the first thing is that it really, it allowed us to hire more people because we had so many, the caseload increased so dramatically, we were able to hire all the people that we needed. That's one. Number two is it really challenged us in terms of the way that we do things. If you're the company that's known for keeping people and their pets together, COVID would be like, you know, the death nail. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> like the, literally you can't keep people together. And so that forced us to really be crystal clear with our people about our culture, about the intentions behind the things that we do as the next best thing to the, you know, the actual things that we end up doing may be the next best thing. So for example, one of our hospitals on the very first day that we decided to lock everything down, we said, separate people from their pets, save yourselves. You know, that's like, you know, on these massive Zoom calls, everybody kind of, you know, thinking we're facing the zombie apocalypse. And so we told them to just separate people from their pets. But what they came up with on their own was our lobbies have big glass windows, you know, looking out onto the parking lot. And they moved their treatment area from the back into the lobby. 
They said, if we can't bring people to the back, we're going to bring back <laughs> people. And they pushed their exam tables right up to the windows. And so all we did was we oh just my. traded, took their pets out, you know, through the door, brought them to the front. And the only thing separating people from their pets was a pane of glass. Wow. And we just started treating them like that. We just got on a regular cordless phone. And so we were able to communicate with people and they were like, you know, they were able to, we have some great pictures, you know, of them putting their hands up to the glass and the a puppy's, you know, paw up to the glass, you know, at the same time, right across. So we did the next, the next best thing. And that, that was another challenge that we, you know, we turned around and it really helped people understand what it is exactly that we're aiming for. Not specifically what we're doing, but what we're aiming for. Togetherness is an intention. Openness is an intention. It's not just an action. And so those core values dictated how you responded in a pretty unconventional way, moving the lobby into the treatment area. Yeah. And we were open to that. A lot of other places would have said like, you know, oh, we're not set up for this or that. Our people don't care. We put, everything was on wheels. They just wheeled it in there. Nobody asked. They didn't ask us if this is right. okay. They just went and did it. It was in the DNA of the, of the veggies that you had built. Absolutely. What were some other challenges that you overcame because of your core values and the culture at Veg? Let's go back to the having lots of new people at Veg. You might think that when you have an increased caseload, you need to just bring in bodies to help you churn through that caseload. And we did that successfully. It doesn't end there. There are a lot of companies, you know, I keep my ear to the ground and I know a lot of people are struggling to keep their hospitals staffed. Most of our hospitals are fully staffed. We have waiting lists at many of our locations. Doctors, nurses, assistants, waiting lists, uh, they wanna join us. The challenge is not getting people in the door for us anymore, that's been done. Uh, for all those people who are struggling to get people in the door, there's another challenge beyond that, which is those people need to be educated. They need to learn your culture. You need to learn their names. If suddenly, if you started off with, you know, 25, 30 people, uh, 30 employees at a location, and a week later you have, you know, 50, 60 people at that location, most people don't know one another. They haven't worked together. That is a really big cultural challenge. Our people met that cultural challenge with our core values. They were open. They understood people are going to come in. They're going to bring some of their cultural baggage with them from somewhere else. They don't know what exactly they signed up for. And so we're going to be patient with them. And it was really difficult to add an extra challenge, almost like, almost like it's somebody's cruel, practical joke. You don't know anybody's names. Let's put masks on them too. So now you can't even like <laughs> learn their faces. But our people were really, really great like that. They were open. They absorbed all those people with loving kindness and were patient. Uh, and taught them the culture and held their hands through our unique way of doing things. Uh, that's another great success of ours. We met that that great challenge by falling back on our core values. So what keeps you up at night? Um, two things. Execution. We know what needs to be done. I like to say that there are already veggies all over the country. They're just ghost versions of those. They need to be built. There are castles in the air. We need to put the foundations under them. That the idea is there. We know everywhere needs a veg. We need to get those veggies built. We need to get them staffed with great veggies that can do things the veg way. That's one thing. We'll call that growth. And then the next is culture, which is also an execution thing uh, in that we can grow. Everybody knows how to build. Starbucks can build 31,000. Starbucks Subway built 40,000 subways. People know how to build buildings. A veterinary hospital is just a building with a bunch of different pipes in it. Um, you know, we have our special tile, our special cabinetry, but that's been done before. That's not the real challenge. What hasn't been done before is growing like that and holding on to our culture. And the only way that I know of to hold on to that culture is like we spoke about to have those cultural assets 
our manifesto, which is our sacred text, if you will. But we have to get everybody that believes, we have to get them to kind of become evangelists of our culture. We need these people to speak about it as passionately as I speak about it. I need every veg uh, to have, to be full of, you know, leaders who speak about the veg way passionately um, and veggies who um, believe in and speak about the veg way passionately. That's what I worry about at night. I have dreams that at some veg off somewhere, somebody's, you know, sitting there saying like, well, I hate these customers having them around. Let's not have them here. Or like, you know, ah, my back hurts. I'm just going to put every pet up on a table. Uh, you know, those things. And people will be like, yeah, let's do that. You know, those are my nightmares. So I mentioned earlier, I was struck by the fact that you call your customers customers versus clients. And that's a distinction that you've made. What's that about? I would say number one is to pay homage to the fact that we've rethought things. Everything. I like to imagine a room where Jeff Bezos is like, you know, let's, ima- let's reimagine the shopping experience. Okay, you go first. And the first guy is like, okay, so you drive to the store. And he's like, ah, stop there. Why are you driving <laughs> to the store? Do you know what I mean? Like reimagine everything, uh-huh. leave no stone unturned. And so I say reimagine everything, everything that might be some sort of legacy thing. So I would say probably deep down inside, the real reason we call them customers, not clients, is because to show you like we're going to rethink everything down to what we call you. Um, that's number one. Why customers specifically? I think it sets the tone for the way that we're going to interact. I have never been wowed by anybody whose client I was. You know, uh, my lawyer would call me his client, and I, I'm not so sure I get great treatment from my lawyer. But I know that I have had amazing wow experiences when I've been a customer somewhere. The customer is always right. You know, treat the customers this way, treat the customers that way. And so I want people to know when they come in, we're going to treat them as a customer. Um, a valued mm-hmm. customer. A client involves some sort of transactional relationship, et cetera. You know, I'm here to serve you. The only other thing that I would entertain beyond customer would be partner, but I think that might sound to people might sound too fake. I don't think they would believe it. But in reality, I think they are our partners. But I just don't think people would buy that. I think they would call BS on us. So we'll settle for customer. Well, let's talk about that concept of people calling BS on you. Earlier, you said some people think of Veg as you've been accused of being a cult. What is that about? And what are your thoughts on that? So a lot of people, one of the most common comments we get is it seems too good to be true. And what I love now is that people will often say that in a group setting. And more often than not, somebody will stand up and will say, I've been there for months or years. It's all true. But I point out, I go a bit of a different direction. I tell people there is a catch and the catch is a giant catch and it's staring you in the face. And it is this veterinary emergency medicine is hard. It is very hard and it is harder with customers there in front of you in many ways. It's hard at night and it's hard during the day and it's hard at night and day and dogs bite and cats bite and people yell and get upset and people cry. And it is just hard. My job as a CEO is to make that hard job as easy as possible. If there's anything else that doesn't belong specifically to veterinary emergency medicine, make that go away as a hardship. So if you have trouble eating healthy because you're working and it's at night and nothing is open or you just can't find the time to order, we need that has nothing to do with veterinary emergency medicine. We need to make that problem go away. And I'm not gonna put it on you. I'm not gonna tell you to bag a lunch. So we have at all of our hospitals, we have a whiteboard on the fridge in our family room that says Instacart. That's a plug for Instacart, great company. And you just write on there what you want. Sandwich, meat, bread, mustard, whatever it is. 
And we just Instacart it to the fridge there every week. And so on many nights, we order food for everybody anyway. One person kind of orders food for everybody. That's fine. But if you're ever hungry, you don't have to worry about like bagging yourself a lunch. Just, you know, go into the fridge. There's food there for you. Make yourself something healthier than, you know, whatever fast food you were otherwise going to order. So things like that, sleeping overnight. I've been tortured by my employer for years, not allowing people to sleep overnight. I agree that it, ideally I, I got the sleep that I needed and didn't need to sleep on my overnight shift at all. That's ideal. Sure. You know, ideally I peed before I came into work and didn't need to pee during my shift, ideally. <laughs> but like, nobody's going to say like, you know, oh, you're not allowed to go to the bathroom. You should have done that before you got here. And so it is a, it is a natural, like physical need to sleep. We are not a nocturnal species. In fact, if you look up in the guidebook, the manual for torture, it's keeping people awake. Sleep deprivation. Yeah. And I've been tortured by my employer, not allowing me to sleep. And I would point out to them, am I not your ideal employee? Don't you wish? You tell me all the time. I wish everybody was like you, Bessler. And I'll say like, well, if your ideal employee tells you that they need to sleep overnight, doesn't that tell you something? And so uh, we have hammock hooks in our exam rooms. We'll give everybody a hammock. If, you know, we have, uh, now we've gone, not everybody enjoys, I like, I wish everybody enjoyed sleeping in a hammock. I love sleeping in a hammock. It's nice to swing like that. Uh, but we have Murphy beds in some of our rooms that you can just, you know, open up a bed and take a nap. Make sure that all of your patients are taken care of, that there isn't anything, you know, like that to do, um, but take a nap. So that's my job as a CEO is to make sure that everything that is not just a practice of veterinary emergency medicine is easy. That's the catch is that veterinary emergency medicine is hard. And that's what you signed up for. Do you see this expanding not only in locations across the United States, but around the world? 100%. The first line of revision statement is VEG is the world's veterinary emergency company. And I think, you know, when you think about it, it's kind of obvious. I think if you asked Howard Schultz, the founder of Starbucks, uh, you know, back in the 70s. So first of all, if aliens landed on Earth in 1970 and said, what is this planet's coffee shop company? There would have been no answer. But if they land on Earth today, you ask them, they would say Starbucks is it for better or for worse. You may not like Starbucks coffee, but it is the world's coffee shop company. Like that's just the reality. We will be the world's veterinary emergency company. They're right now there is no answer, but we will be the world's veterinary emergency company. And there are pets in Shanghai and pets in London uh, and pets in Sydney. And those pets get into shenanigans and their people want great emergency care. And so we want to be the place that they go to get that help when they need it most. David Bessler, thank you so much for being with us today on The Long Leash. I really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation, and you are a passionate a veterinarian and entrepreneur, and that's pretty amazing. Great. Thanks for being accepting of my craziness. I started Dog Podcast Network because I wanted to respond to the way things are in the world today by helping to remind dog lovers about the highest of human ideals the ones that our dogs bring out in us. And that's why I loved talking with David Bessler, because he is someone who shares my belief in humans because he sees the possibilities in, in even emergency medicine. Well, that is it for today's show. All the links are in our show notes and on our website at longleashshow.com. If you enjoyed today's show, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three about the long leash, perhaps at a dog park or at the veterinarian. And be sure to follow us or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. If you would like to get in touch with us, we are available on all the social medias. And you can find those links on our website at longleashshow.com. Our thanks to David Bessler for being our guest today. But most of all, I'd like to thank you for hitting that play button and spending some time with me today. 
I'm James Jacobson. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'd like to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.